Angus, thank you very much for joining us here on AU Manufacturing Conversations and also for having me in your home. Welcome to the program. Great, Brent. Thanks for, thanks for coming in and seeing what we're doing here. A pleasure. First question for you, as it is for every guest we have, is how did you get here and what do you make? So how did I get here? I mean, I've been at Vaxxas since 2012. So I was one of the original employees in a company that spun out of the University of Queensland in 2011. Really, the company was looking to try and transform vaccination by removing the needle and syringe. So we've been working on that since 2012 and making great progress. I guess before that, my background was in sort of pharmacy and pharmaceutics. So working in the United Kingdom, I started my career at GlaxoSmithKline in pharmaceutical development, working on new chemical entities and so new drug products coming through development and sort of then moved into technology consulting, particularly in the healthcare space. So both process equipment for manufacturing, for new exciting medical devices for different needs, fast-moving consumer goods. And I did that for sort of five or six years and then moved into sort of sideways into another consulting company in the UK that looked at quality management systems and improved processes in large pharma and healthcare companies. So I did that for two years. And then there was actually one of my previous bosses at PA Consulting in the UK that had interacted with the founder of the company sort of when they were in the UK and knew that I was a, had grown up in New Zealand, could work in Australia, knew a bit about my background and what I'd done at PA Consulting and suggested that I sort of reach out and have a discussion with Axis leadership in terms of a position at the company. At the time, myself and my wife thought it'd be nice to move a bit closer to New Zealand and move out of consulting and try and well, this is going to sound really bad, do something, achieve yeah. something, right? Something, something tangible. And so we took the plunge and moved across. Yeah. It's quite a plunge trying to change technology that's been around since, God knows how many, 160? 160 years. That's right. The first sort of patents on this needle and syringe have been around for 170 years. And they haven't changed. I mean, you look at the original drawing of that patent, you look at a needle and syringe today, and it's essentially the same concept, right? So, And it wasn't designed specifically for vaccination. So what we're doing is designed specifically to deliver vaccines into the skin in a very effective way. Skin vaccination works. The first vaccines, they scratch the skin and rub the vaccine into the skin to get the response. And the skin's a great barrier to the world, right? It's designed to protect you from the environmental harm, scratches, other things. So it's got abundant immune cells in it. So if you can then harness that, in a way which enables the vaccination to be simple, is acceptable to recipients, and can also make those vaccines more effective, you potentially onto something really, really game-changing. And that's what we're trying to manufacture and develop and manufacture at Vaxxas. Let's ask a few sort of knuckle-headed, get-to-know-you type questions about the company, because I always start from a position of not so much assumed knowledge on the part of the listener. Tell me about what an MAP is, a HDMAP is, and what you've come up with, basically. Yeah, we do love acronyms at Vaxxas, and we've got a lot of them, as you imagine, most technology companies. What we have is a way of delivering vaccine into the skin. We do that using a small patch and we call it a microarray patch. And why we, why we call it a microarray patch is essentially that patch is covered in a dense array of small micro projections at about 0.3 of a millimeter in length. And we've got about two and a half thousand of those across a one centimeter squared or postage stamp sized area. So why is that important? It allows us to put the vaccine onto those micro projections, deliver that into skin, and target the immune cells in the top layers of the skin. So the HD part comes from the high density. So there are other companies developing technologies to sort of in a similar space, but we have a couple of differentiators or numerous sort of differentiators that we think position ourselves at the head of that pack. And one of those is this high density array that we have, which enables us to get vaccine into the cells that need to see it. Also 
enables when the vaccine is delivered into the skin, it triggers various alarm signals. So something something new is being presented into the skin. The cells are going, what is that? And our, our technology really sort of amplifies that response a little bit. So you're getting delivery of vaccine into area where those immune cells want to respond to it quickly, and therefore that triggers an effective and rapid immune response to that vaccine delivery. Yep. So less vaccine, you can have it in dry forms, yeah, stores it, better, yep, you don't need the yep. cold chain, all these are potential... Yeah, vaccines. so I guess why do that? I mean, yep. exactly as you said, Brent, a great, great way of looking at it. You can make vaccines more effective, you can reduce the amount of vaccine you need, and we've shown that in recent clinical studies that we can use less vaccine than injecting into the muscle where there are not as many immune cells present. Because of the way we put the vaccine onto that HD map or high density microarray patch technology, we have a liquid and we dry it very rapidly and that can improve the stability of the vaccine when it's dried as opposed to a liquid. So you can take it out of the cold chain and get it to places where vaccines are really difficult to access, such as you know low middle income countries, places where there's conflict, places where people are still not vaccinated against a broad range of different diseases. But also you know, in high income countries as well, removing the needle, increasing the amount of vaccines you can get to people can really improve vaccine uptake, but also therefore profitability for vaccine manufacturing companies. You mentioned earlier there are other companies out there looking to commercialise this roughly speaking genre of delivering vaccines and other things through the skin. Tell me about the emergence of that as a category and why you think you guys are ahead of, I read it was something like 90 odd companies. A lot of lot of groups, a lot of companies working in the space. I mean, some of them are sort of very small companies spun out of academic labs. And of course, when there's a, an interest in a new technology, then there's a lot of small companies emerge out of yeah. the woodwork trying to sort of Get harness that. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I think that's it. I mean, people see this as a significant opportunity. And, uh, you know, the vaccine market, I think, post-COVID is about $130 billion US per annum. That's a lot of room for various companies to play. And, you know, almost all of that is given through needle and syringe. So if you can come in with a range of different technologies, you know, there's a potential, you know, really significant commercial product there. And I guess as well, what we know is that skin vaccination works. So the challenge has always been, how do you commercialise and develop the device component to enable that dose to be given consistently, to make it really, really simple and intuitive to use so that a, you know, it doesn't have to be a nurse or a doctor that gives a vaccination. It could be a community healthcare worker or in some situations a potentially self-administration at home or guardian-based administration, just really improving the access to vaccines, I think. And so there's different different companies working on different technologies. I think we've been to the forefront because of the, you know, the approach that we're taking and clinical data sets we have and sort of the focus on manufacturing, which I guess kind of what your listeners want to learn Absolutely. a little about. Now, vaccines sell at huge volumes, massive volumes. If your device component costs a lot more and can't be scaled, then you can't work in vaccines. So you've got to have a real focus on manufacturability. That's what we've been trying to do. On that note, let's go through some of the challenges, and there are many that you've had to address in terms of proving you can do what you say you can and being able to do that over and over and over again at huge volumes. Yeah, there are a lot of challenges. You come up with an idea, and then you've got to sort of work out whether you can commercialise it and a key part of that is the manufacturability. So our technology has changed from the original, you know, idea that out of the University of Queensland lab, you know, significantly. With we, silicon. Yeah, we use a different material to make the actual high density microarray patch. It was silicon, monocrystalline silicon. Now we've moved to plastic injection molding, massively more scalable and controllable. We've also thought about the end process for manufacturing. So with a syringe, you put liquid into that syringe barrel and you do that very accurately at a high speed under very controlled conditions. So the way in which you get the vaccine onto that microarray patch, where you want it, how much you want, to the target exactly where you want it to be, that needs to be able to compete with that sort of syringe filling process or vial filling process, which is established 
all around the world, right? You saw the massive number of vaccines produced during COVID from large-scale manufacturing facilities. We need to be able to sort of convince those partners that there's a new way of doing it and it can be equally as scalable. And there's challenges, right? We make a new device. We're doing something which has not been done before. So there's always going to be some challenges in terms of how you, problems that you need to solve as you sort of unpack the various challenges you've got to meet. But we've got a large device team here, got about 30 people working in sort of the engineering field on process and product. And we've come up with a really, I think, great solution, which is very, very scalable. And now we've just got to, we've got to fund it and we've got to do it and we're going to move it forward. clinical trials are for, I think, half a dozen yep. vaccines, that's yep. about right. What's further than other things along? What are some of the vaccines that you're using this for, et cetera? Yeah, we work with a lot of different vaccine types. Vaccines are very diverse. We've done a lot of work with seasonal influenza vaccines. We've published two phase one studies with seasonal flu vaccines. We've just completed a third, which has given you know, encouraging data. And that's, I think, probably our first product to market. So we're pushing that forward. We're trying to move now into phase two studies. So that's kind of as we scale up to later stage clinical studies, we scale up to manufacturing accordingly. We've done work with measles and rubella with the Gates Foundation. That's an announced sort of public relationship. We've got the program with the US government, so the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Agency, Alberta on pandemic influenza. So it remains a huge threat and we do not want another pandemic. So if we can, what we can do to prevent that would be, would be fantastic. We have our Welcome Trust program on polysaccharide conjugate typhoid vaccine. We're doing some work on mRNA vaccines as well, which is a whole emerging area of vaccines really post, post COVID, which is, which is important. And we have our own COVID-19 vaccine project as well. That's a uh, protein based vaccine that we've also completed a really, really great phase one study in Australia locally to sort of, uh, to, to demonstrate that we can deliver that effectively and get a great immune response. We're at your new facility opened in June this year. Tell me about what's special about this place, please, and your plans to uh, do some of the things that you explained earlier yep. when we are on the tour. Yeah, I like, I like the first question, what's special about the place? I mean, I think you don't often get a chance to design and then build a facility where you can sort of see that pathway to commercialisation for something which is reasonably unique right in terms of product. So to be able to get the opportunity to do that, to design a facility which will provide that path to commercial volumes and manufacturing is pretty cool. It also gives us a sort of a home in Brisbane that we could bring all the entire team, which was a bit sort of spread out around different locations, bring them all together. So everyone's working on the same thing and knowing what everyone else is working on. So we've got very cross-functional teams here that need to be able to work together. So I think that makes it really, it's unique for us. You won't find a, a building like this in Australia, I think it does the various things that we need to do. So to have that, that's really, I think, very, very special and sort of really is a signal, I think, that we're very, very serious about progressing this to commercialisation and that we've got the facility that will enable it and the infrastructure within that facility that we need to sort of build it out. And it's always a, a tough question to ask because you don't know and it, you know, all sorts of things can happen between now and then. But I read that, you know, roughly speaking, like might be three or five years before you finally have a commercial product out there. Is that sort of the answer you'd give if I asked? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're still competing phase one studies, we have phase two programs, phase three studies to complete pre-registration of that product. So I think first product to market, we're targeting 2028 of one of those vaccines currently in our pipeline. That depends on how fast we work through those clinical studies, right? And that you can accelerate those, but there's obviously there's risk, especially from a financial perspective. You have to invest hard in the study to bring it forward. 
And if your previous study doesn't give you the data that you need or you don't get the right information out because you've moved too quickly, yeah, you, they can cost you a lot of money. So it depends a little bit on our appetite for risk and also our partners, mm. vaccine partners' appetite for risk as well. But our current schedule, we have our 2028 first product to market built here yeah. at this facility. You mentioned your partners and, you know, other people make the vaccine, you make the thing that delivers the vaccine and there's a lot that happens between those yep. things. How do you fit in? What do the logistics look like? Your business model look like? What's your part in the this giant market for vaccines? And like- yeah, it's interesting because like, you know, big pharma, big companies that make vaccines have really established manufacturing capability all over the world to make huge volumes of product. So we're trying to, we're trying to convince them that there's a better way of doing it, right? And they've invested billions of dollars into infrastructure around the needle and syringe. You've got to change that mindset. And we've been working hard to do that. We've got great collaborations with big pharma, with philanthropic organisations who are very active in vaccination. So I think we're making really good progress. We have a number of partner programs. We have an announced partnership with Merck. We have another program with an undisclosed large pharma. We have programs with the Gates Foundation, US government, right? one of the largest procurers of vaccine in the world for pandemic response. And I think people now after COVID are starting to recognise that there's got to be a better way to distribute vaccines. You cannot be reliant on a needle and syringe to get people vaccinated quickly. I think there's a bit of vaccine fatigue as well amongst vaccinators and also amongst the public in terms of another vaccine delivered with a needle and syringe. So if you can change that, I think people are now really recognising that the technologies such as ours can be game-changing in terms of the, the way in which vaccines are administered, opening up a whole new range of different distribution models, access, and those sorts of things as well. I'd like to know about, and this is kind of a slightly negative note, but there have been some really promising manufacturers recently, some of them not far from here, Tritium, for example. There have been others like Amero and Xtech who have gone overseas. They've gone to the United States specifically to manufacture for various reasons. Is there a big pull for you guys? Is there certain people who are saying, come on, guys, you know, Australia's a very difficult place. Tell me about those pressures if you'd like to. Oh, there's definitely pressure. I mean, most large pharma, apart from CSL Securus based here in Australia, overseas, Europe or the US. And we were founded here. The Australian government's been very, very supportive of us and the state government as well with this facility. And I think what we've shown is we can do that work in Australia. We've got the access to the talent that we need to undertake these programs. And this facility, I think, gives us that infrastructure that it's quite hard to replicate, right? It's a significant step to try and replicate this. So I think sort of gives us a real anchor here in Brisbane as well, which is important. Ultimately, the manufacture of our product will be conducted not only in Australia, I'm sure, but overseas with various partners. And there's always risk in new technology development and expansion as well, right? You expand too fast and then you sort of, you don't have revenue to back that up, it can be, can be challenging. So it's always a shame when technology companies don't make it, especially if they've got through the, the difficult stage, right, and they look on the verge of success. But I think, you know, we're doing the right things. And we don't just have one product, right? We have a range of different vaccines that we can deliver using this technology. And as I, as I mentioned, we're starting to look in other areas as well, such as immuno-oncology, mRNA vaccines are coming through. There's not just sort of one thing that we're doing, right? We've, we've got a lot of programs that we're working on to give us sort of various you know, shots of gold, if you like, for success. So we've got a pipeline of products coming through. And I think that's really, really important. It's not just one thing that we're trying to do. There's a number of different products that, that can come out of this. We're nearly at the end of the year, end of this conversation, but let's talk about the end of the year first. Tell me about 2024, what you guys have in development, what's you're adding onto the factory, etc. Yeah, it's exciting next year. I think we continue to advance our vaccine programs. So looking to move pandemic influenza program into phase one, which is a large phase one studies, and then progress towards phase two. And that really means 
finishing off this facility, right, making sure it's ready to do late stage manufacturing, preparing to be audited by the Therapeutic Goods Administration to enable us to make product that goes into phase two studies. So that'll be a significant milestone next year that will hopefully get us a license to enable us to supply into phase two, phase three studies, and also starting to really get this facility to be what it should be, which is a manufacturing facility, right? So to start to bring in the device manufacturing parts into the facility, as you saw, we walked around, we've got various components here already, but you know, some of the, I guess the hard parts, when I say hard parts, are hard components, such as a patch, the device components, starting to bring in that infrastructure and also scale up some of those assembly manufacturing steps. So there'll be a lot of activity next year around bringing in certain manufacturing steps into this facility, but also scaling out some of those processes which are currently done through manual assembly or more operator-based intervention. And phase two, what sort of volumes would you be making? Look, you don't, you don't need a lot. I mean, a phase, a phase two study for flu in adults and older adults might be about 900 subjects. So it's not a lot of product for 900 subjects, one patch per person. Yep. Yeah, so, but you also need to do a lot of characterization of your process. So if you're doing more routine manufacture. So at the moment, we produce a pretty low volume for phase one studies in a day's run, about 500 to 600 units, and that's enough for a phase one. You have a phase two, we'll step that up to 1,000 per day, 2,000, 3,000, and then increase that through later stage studies as well. So it's not, it's not a huge volume of product for these studies, but it starts to increase, and you need to do more of the manufacturing process qualification and validation activities as well. So that just means producing the same thing over and over again, improving it as what you said it, was, said it should be and meets its specification. And lastly, the stock question is, is there an issue within manufacturing that isn't getting the attention it deserves from the public, from policymakers, from the media? What's your point of view? Oh, great question, Brent. Look, I think I think there's a real real appetite at the moment in Australia to support biotech. Right? There's some really exciting things happening within Australia to sort of support that. And you've got big companies starting to actually set up and like Moderna, mm. you know, Sanofi coming into Brisbane. These are really, really exciting. So I think there's a real desire to build biotech industry in Australia. There's a real desire to do this here in Brisbane as well. You know, Queensland government have been very supportive to us in terms of what we're trying to achieve here. But this type of development, commercialization is expensive, it's difficult. It requires a lot of people to move it forward. And you know, not everything you do works out the way it should do. So timelines change as well. So I think it's just that understanding of some of, I guess, the rigors and challenges around taking a successful a biotech from early stage clinical studies and moving that through. That's why big pharma normally do late stage clinical studies, right? Because they're difficult to do. They're hugely expensive and complex in their design, implementation, and supply of product into them. So, but I think the signs are really encouraging. And with this facility, we've got that sort of foundation now where you can start to think that we can move it. But obviously, to progress requires additional investment, either from partners or from you know other sources of money, including including government. So you'd say a better appreciation of the patients and, and resources? Yeah, I mean, it could be a, a biotech, you know, typically when you have an idea through the first product, you know, 10 to 15 years is not a unexpected in terms of time frame. So we've been going for about 12, 13 years now since 2011. So, and that's not atypical. So mm-hmm. kind of, a, it's a time frame that doesn't, sort of fit to a government term, right? So you don't, you don't get to see success until we've had a number of different, a long period. And that's, that's challenging in terms of return on investment. And yes, and some, some things you bet won't, won't make it, right? And that's always a concern. But, you know, we've uh, got 140 people here working on the technology. We spend a lot of money in Queensland and Australia with partners and other sort of knock-on effects. So it's a great opportunity to build it and hopefully we'll be one of those success stories. Hope yeah. so. I mean, Angus, it was great to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time. Great to have you on AU Manufacturing Conversations. Great. A pleasure, Brent. Thank you.